0: And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor. Today is Friday, March the 27th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on March 27, 2006, Al Qaeda conspirator Zacharias Masawi he testified at his federal court hearing that he was supposed to hijack a fifth airplane on September the 11th, 2001, 9-11, and fly it into the White House. He failed. He was remorseful, not for what he had done, but for what he had not done, that he had failed to fly another plane into the White House. Today in 1513, Spanish explorer Juan Ponce de Leon, he sighted what is today Florida. Today in 1884, the first long-distance telephone call took place from Boston to New York. Today, in 1958, Nikita Khrushchev became the Soviet premier, in addition to being first secretary of the Communist Party. Today, in 1964, Alaska was hit by a magnitude 9.2 earthquake. It's the strongest ever recorded in North America. Today, in 1975, construction began on the Trans-Alaska uh, Pipeline, was completed 2 years later that pipeline was said by every liberal that lives on this planet that it would destroy it would destroy most of alaska in the area where it was built all of the reindeer would go away they would not breed anymore and they wouldn't reproduce and on and on and on and on and on today everything's as it should be the pipeline does what it's supposed to do and the animals are carrying on they're having babies and there's more reindeer today than there there was back in 1975. Today in 1977, in aviation, aviation's worst disaster, 583 people were killed when a KLM Boeing 747 attempted to take off in heavy fog, crashed into a Pan Am 747 on the airport runway of Canary Island in Tenerife. That stands out in my memory because a few years later, I interviewed a guy on our television program. I interviewed a guy who had actually been on one of those planes. I can't remember which one. I think he was on the Pan Am, but he was one of the survivors. 583 people did not survive. He told the story in vivid terms. He was a writer, an author, and he just happened to be on one of those planes. And as I said, he survived. His story was, well, his story made me not want to fly anywhere for a while. I got over it eventually because I had to. Somebody posted a thought today, I noticed, a journalist, Dorothy Thompson, I guess she was a significant journalist in her day. She said, fear grows in darkness. If you think there's a boogeyman around, turn on the light. Well, I would agree, but I have a better quote than that. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies, my foes, even a corona I added that part, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host shall encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple and there's more and you know that that's a great word from the Lord and I guess that's an act of turning on the light if you think there's a boogeyman I was reading in Isaiah this morning I often read in Isaiah read a verse that I've preached so many sermons on and often quoted just to myself in times of challenge, in times of joy. Isaiah 41.10 Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is good. All the time. God is good got an email from a lady out on the Oregon coast in Pacific City. The email says, Gary, my clients and I look forward to your broadcast every morning. Her clients have to do with in-home care. They sent a $10 donation to help us with this ministry. I want to thank you ladies for that. I also have a message for you. God loves you. So do I. Thank you. Thank you to all of you who support this ministry. We wouldn't be here without it. I I know I've said that a lot of times, but that's always on the front end of my mind. I feel very much that God has called me to do this very, very strongly. I wouldn't do it otherwise. I really wouldn't. I don't not like it. I just wouldn't do it because I have no desire to become a radio guy or a television guy for sure. But I will tell you that I feel strongly in my heart and in my soul that God has spoken to me to do this Some several years ago. And I'm grateful to, to Tom Reed and ACN for giving us the opportunity. In fact, Tom kind of talked me into it. I think God used him. But I feel very, very strongly about doing this the way we do it. But I will tell you, if you weren't standing with us We wouldn't be having this conversation. And I am fully aware of that. You can be called of God, but if there aren't others who feel called of God to stand with you, it doesn't happen. Because God always works through people. Well, almost always. I mean, there is manna and those kinds of things, but God usually works through his people to accomplish his purposes. And whatever we are able to accomplish in this ministry, on this radio program... I am fully aware that God's purposes, to the degree that we can accomplish them and please the Lord, to that degree, you are as much a part of this as I am, and I want to thank you, and I want to tell you that I need your support. (laughs) These times, are, a lot of things are changing. Even the post office isn't functioning as they once did. I mean, there's a lot of pressure on all of our institutions And things are delayed, and one thing and another, so thank you for standing with us. Uh, There's a growing resistance to what we're saying on the air, and I'm not going to get into that because this isn't about me. It's about us, and it's mostly and all about God. But there is a growing resistance, and it's beginning to be seen more strongly and more often. Thank you for your prayers as well. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, spoke to the press. held a press conference, wanted to update the nation of Israel on the latest coronavirus developments, Netanyahu opened his address by citing the Mishnah, saying, saving the life of one person is akin to saving the whole world. He then added to the adage, saying, one who infects one person is akin to infecting the whole world. He was telling people in Israel to stay home. He was telling them the same thing we're hearing here in America. He said, stay home. In fact, he recited a verse from the Hebrew Old Testament from Deuteronomy. I think it's 4.15. For your own sake, therefore, be most comf- uh, careful. For your own sake, therefore, be most careful. And uh, I'm pretty sure that's Deuteronomy 4.15 in their Bible. But the underlining theme of his talk was stay home. He admitted, he said, I don't know when this pandemic will end. But he did remind the crowd that during past plagues, the Jews were stuck in exile. He said the coronavirus joins the family of other deadly plagues throughout history, the black plague, cholera, the Spanish flu. When those plagues ran their course in previous centuries, he said we, the Jews, didn't have a state. But today, he said, we have a state. We're together now. He said this gives us unlimited options to control our destiny. He said we are one people, one country, and now is the time for unity. However he continued. He said, I have hope. He invoked the holiday of Passover, reminding the audience that the Jewish month of Nisan that begins tonight, which was yesterday, is the month of spring and of exodus from Egypt. It reminds us that our nation withstood intense storms. It gives us strength. It gives us hope. We overcame Pharaoh. And although the battle is difficult and challenging, We will overcome the coronavirus with God's help and with your help, the people of Israel. Well, that's an interesting message from an interesting person and an interesting nation. There's never been a nation so small that has dominated the world conversation like Israel. It's hard to believe, I think, because I don't believe it, but it's hard to believe that Israel is not significant. It's, we know why it's significant, of course. But for the secularist, for the atheist, for the humanist, I wonder how they rationalize how Israel, just a little tiny speck of land on this planet, how they're able to survive and how they're able to dominate world news so often. We know the answer to that, but isn't it interesting? to see God working through his plan for the ages, right on schedule, right on schedule. And speaking of schedule, the House of Representatives are meeting today. The Senate passed that stimulus bill. Now the House of Representatives, and and as I'm speaking now live, they may be passing it. I don't know. But what I was hearing a little while ago was that there is some concern that one member, Representative Thomas Massey, he's a Republican from Kentucky, that he may demand a recorded vote rather than a voice vote. Now, a lot of those guys have gone home. They don't want to get coronavirus, and they've gone home. So there is some thought, uh, at least an hour or so ago, that may have changed as I'm speaking. But the thought was that if this Thomas Massey a Republican, he's a libertarian. If he demands a recorded vote, it will not kill the bill, but it will delay it. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of urgency being placed on this man not to ask for a recorded vote, but rather to go with a voice vote. That's what's happening as we speak in the most powerful capital in the world, Washington, D.C., Yesterday, the Seattle Times said Washington schools have two business days to figure out how they intend to teach the states roughly 1.1 million students remotely. When I first saw that headline, I thought, boy, did I miss something? No, they're not not supposed to go back to school on Monday, but they're supposed to start school on Monday at home. 1.1 million students. There's no question that this virus is putting a lot of pressure on everybody, including those in public education. But interestingly enough, we've all become, not only in Washington State, but across America, we've all become homeschoolers now, haven't we, if we have children in our home. Marjorie and I do not. We don't have anybody in our home right now, but our kids are growing, but we have grandkids. And the younger ones are, yes, they're still in school. There's some resources about teaching at home. I gathered some of those up and put them in an article that we write every day. It's called Faith and Freedom Daily. Things I talk about on this program. What I'm talking about right now, today, is a part of what I wrote. It's put out there and thousands of people read it and get it. But 1.1 million kids in Washington State, more than 32.5 million kids in 33 states, 64,000 public school buildings are closed. It's part of our They're all part of our country's government-run education complex, but they're also part of this coronavirus policy. Seattle Times says the deadline, they said the deadline is nearly here. Washington schools have two business days, and that was yesterday, so they have one business day today, to figure out, I'm quoting the Seattle Times, to figure out how they intend to teach the state's roughly 1.1 million students remotely. Continuing, Seattle districts, they said, or school districts, they said, are hurrying to get something, anything, anything, (laughs) anything, prepared to satisfy State Education Department's recent instructions to begin remote instruction by Monday. The story is fairly comprehensive. It gives a lot of information in this Seattle Times article. I noticed one of the quotes in there was Dr. Thomas Halbertson. He's a principal lecturer over at the University of Washington's College of Education, he said, he said, I'm quoting him, he said, this is very much like trying to build an airplane at 30,000 feet in some turbulence. Well, that's an interesting metaphor or illustration. But, I mean, didn't they give this some thought before? It appears they didn't. I know they did, but it doesn't sound like they did. There's a story in Education Week that reflects the anxiety of Washington State. This Mike... Soskill, he's a public school teacher. He's apparently well-known. I've never heard of him, but apparently a lot of people do know who he is. He said, in a matter of a week or two, we faced the equivalent of a societal nuclear bomb, and we're looking ahead to a societal nuclear winter. That doesn't sound hopeful, does it? He said, between the bomb, I'm quoting this this educator, He said, between the bomb and the winter, there's a helter-skelter rush to photocopy packets of worksheet, convene teachers for curriculum planning in schools emptied of students, and figure out just what in the, well, I can't say that word, expletive, school, in quotes, looks like when it's no longer safe to be together in person. Well, (laughs) I guess most are agreeing with him. It is very difficult to prepare for these kinds of events. I'm personally sensitive to it. I have cousins who have or are now retired and did, or relatives scattered all over the state of Washington that taught. My daughter-in-law is currently a teacher in a public school. I get that. But the metaphor that Dr. Halverson speaks of speaks to a larger issue. Public education is so removed and isolated from the home that any variance from that, particularly teaching kids in the home, is chaotic. It's almost like it's a novel. Wow, this just came upon us. It's like a plague. How can we do this? We've got to come up with anything. We've got to copy paper and pass it out. We've got to come up with something, anything. That's what they're saying, not me. It's become a dispenser of free food, free babysitting, canned lesson plans, and mostly driven by far-left ideology, far-left activists. Planned Parenthood provides too much curriculum for public education. The Homosexual Advocacy, Human Rights Campaign, largest homosexual advocacy group in America, they supply lesson plans and curriculum and speakers. What is what is education become, public education? Maybe the attempt to build an airplane to 30,000 feet has more to do with the fact that public education is antiquated and the turbulence from the coronavirus disruption may in fact be a blessing. I hope it is, and that's why I wanted to talk to you for a moment about this today. Public education has been pushed way off its original flight plan, if you want to stay with his metaphor, the headwinds of secular progressivism, humanism, social experimentation. I mean, these little kids are going off to public school. We know that. You know that. They're going off to school, five and four and five and six years old, and they're being told, "You might, little boy, Johnny, you might be a girl, Susie, you might be a boy." It's happening. I'm not making this up, and it's not an isolated incident. It's a part of that narrative. It's a part of what happens in the public school and in the public classroom. Noah Webster was the founding father of the United States. One of them. And he is generally recognized as the father of American public education. If you take a look at Noah Webster, of course, Webster, we, I mean, everybody knows him from his dictionary. But if you take a look at Webster and you, you give some thought to him and look at his life, he was highly educated, especially for that time. He not only had a bachelor's degree, he had a, had a master's degree. He was a lawyer. He was an educator. And yeah, he, you know, he, he wrote the dictionary, not really, but it's named after him. He was not timid. Noah Webster was not timid in making reference to his vision or in Halverson's metaphor, his flight plan for public education. He said, and I'm quoting him, these are exact quotes from him that are verified. Discipline our youth in early life in sound maxims of moral, political, and religious duties. Public education today is running away from any kind of morality, any kind of political or religious duties. Oh, there's a lot of political advocacy, but not as a matter of civil responsibility to vote. We have so inverted what Webster had in mind when he created public education. It's frightening. Noah Webster actually said once, and I've I've verified this, I've said it in sermons, I've said it on this program before, and it's true. He said, education is useless without the Bible. Now, how would that fly in the institution that he created? How would that fly today? Not very well. In 1832, Noah Webster was 85 years old. In his book, The History of the United States, kind of a memoir, but it's a history as well, he wrote this. The brief exposition of the Constitution of the United States will unfold to young persons the principles of Republican government. That's a small R. Republican government. And it is the sincere desire of the writer that our citizens should be early uh, should early understand that the genuine source of correct republican principles is the bible particularly he writes the new testament or the christian religion i know those who disagree with me are saying under their breath or maybe so others could hear gary's trying to make take over become a some kind of a religious nation or something. No, I'm not. I'm not advocating that at all. I'm simply saying the people that founded this nation and built the greatest, most exceptional, most blessed, most prosperous, most free nation in the history of the world believed this. So I don't think it's a big leap to say their ideas worked out pretty well. Why have we abandoned all these Why have we turned our back on the very things that made America what it is? And the very principles that give light rather than darkness. The very principles that give us hope instead of despair. They're God's principles. You can try, you can pound your fist, you can say, I am an atheist 150 times in one minute, and yet there is a God in heaven who created all of the universe, and I want to tell you, God is interested in his people. Yes, his people are Israel, for sure, but God's interested in all of us because we are his creation. We did not evolve. We were spoken into existence by an almighty God who created male and female and anything that goes against that rock solid truth ultimately fails but in the process it ruins the lives the hearts the minds of the children who are touched by it webster's book 1832 it's still available you can get it at amazon at least i at least on the the elect electronic uh text. I I don't know if they're still printing it or not, but it's still available. I know Amazon used to carry it. I think they still do. But his flight plan has been scrapped. Why do we do that? Why are we so intent? We would rather destroy a nation and destroy a five-year-old kid than to embrace the idea, or at least even admit to the idea, that there is a God Webster explained how a person can get off course. I'm quoting him again verbatim. He said, the moral principles and precepts contained in scriptures ought to form the basis of all our civil constitutions and laws, all the miseries and evils which men suffer from vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war. And we could add the plague. Proceed from the despising or neglecting the precepts contained in the Bible. In other words, the closer you get to the Bible, the closer you are to truth, and the closer you are to life. It's interesting that Jesus defined himself as the truth and the life and the way, the only way to God. I understand that public schools in Washington and elsewhere have got to come up with something by Monday to educate your children and grandchildren, but they also need to figure out what school looks like, like Dr. Halverson is, is <clears throat> excuse me is saying, but could it be that this virus, I'm just asking, could it be that this virus has brought us to a point where we Maybe should reevaluate. we're not doing a lot of the things we've been doing. We're sitting at home many, rather than out doing stuff that we would normally do. Maybe we should reevaluate. So skilled, again, a guy that's pretty well known, but I don't know who he is, but others seem to know him in education. He said this in Education Week in a piece that he was quoted in. He didn't write it, but he was quoted pretty extensively in this piece, Education Week, yesterday. He said, quote, Whether we are teachers, parents, or both, this crisis is forcing us to confront the big existential questions. Who are we now to our families, our colleagues, and the children in our care? Who are we going to be? He said, America is burning. Well, I would put it a little differently than that. Who does God want us to be in regard to the children that he's gifted us with? Does he want us to be the parent in Deuteronomy chapter 6 who will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength? And yes, of course, we all know that, most of us do at least. But do we know that he says teach them diligently, I'm quoting God, diligently to your children and talk with them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up? So the question becomes, how can we best obey God in, in, in writing God's words on the doorpost of our house, allegorically, and the, the gates? Can you best bind God's truth as a sign on your hand in the frontlets of your eyes? How does that work? Maybe America is burning, but I will tell you that Webster wrote The Bible was America's basic textbook in all fields, and I think we parents have got to come back to that. Thank you for being with me today. It's always a pleasure. Give this some consideration. Think about it. Let God speak to your heart and see what he would say to you about your children. Have a great weekend. I'll see you right here on Monday.